So it is useful to peep behind the spiritual curtain and catch a glimpse of what might be going on when we pray, but we mustn't get hung up on it. We pray to God through Jesus. We don't really need to know how the nuts and bolts fit together. We just know that we need to get on with it. Now, our passage in Colossians, which is, if you want to follow, in chapter 2, verses 16 to 23, the Colossians 2, starting at 16, Paul seems to be recapping what he's been saying before. So that gives me a good excuse to recap what we've done before. Um, And in his recap, there's a nugget of something different. So we'll see how that falls out. Paul, remember, is writing to this newly established fellowship in Colossae. That's in the middle of Turkey, as it is now. Um, It's an area which has had ancient empires rolling over it, one after the other. The Phrygians, the Greeks, now the Romans. Many influences, many religions, many temples. Lots of stuff going on. Lots of Jews there. Jews who came back from Babylonia, not during the exile, during the time David was talking about, maybe two or three hundred years after the return from the exile, they were still in Babylonia. Like he said, there were a lot of Jews in those areas. There hadn't been any problem with them until Israel started to be resettled in the 40s. So some of them came to live in this area. Now anyway, let me read the passage and see how the recap goes. Paul says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen, They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Wow. Well, there's a whole mishmash of different influences that might have been around this new fellowship that might have been troubling the new Christians. Um, I just want to try and sort of figure out what some of it was. Some of it, I think, right at the end there, um, talking about harsh treatment of the body and restraining sensual indulgence, makes me think of some Greek philosophies that, uh, that taught that this, only the spirit was important, that the body didn't matter. This was quite a current thing in Greek world. Remember, this was a Greek city by this point. And um, this leads to two extremes. 
You either deny yourself bodily comfort and pleasure because the body doesn't matter, or you indulge your appetites to the max because the body doesn't matter. And these two opposite poles might be what Paul is meaning when he talks about harsh treatment of the body, which then he says lacks any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And if you've ever tried to follow a strict diet, you'll know what I mean. The other population that was probably confusing the new Christians, in fact, many of the new Christians may have come from that population, was the Jewish population in this area. They had, as I said, come back from Babylonia, apparently Antiochus the Great, one of the uh, uh, Greek emperors, moved them. I don't know why he moved them, or maybe he allowed them to move. Um, David pointed out this morning as we were talking about this that um, populations of Jews would stick together. If they moved from one place to another, they would stick together because part of the law was you couldn't travel on the Sabbath by any means other than your feet. So they had to walk to synagogue. So they would live closely together, which meant they probably needed to be in cities, which meant they couldn't farm. So they would specialise in trade. And the big complaint against Jews right throughout Europe was that they were rich and they were hogging the trade, they were dominating society and that's partly why people tried to get rid of them. So here there was a strong population who'd remained in Babylonia after the return from the exile, which suggests to me they weren't all that bothered about returning to their ancestral home, to the home of their forefathers anyway. They were separated from the temple, separated from their system of worship, and so they perhaps went off on strange tangents. They remembered that there were special days. They remembered there was something to do with the full moon. They remembered that you circumcised your baby boys and that you didn't eat this and that and the other. And maybe there was something about angels in there. And oh yes, um, God is in heaven. Maybe we can go see him. And so a mishmash of influences grew up amongst this population and I think um, there is evidence that there were mystical Jewish cults. They uh, thought that you could, um, by practicing certain things or knowing certain special things, could spring up to heaven and, and see God and could talk to angels. And uh, as time goes by this was all sort of codified in, and written down in what is known as Gnosticism. And so there's all this washing around. And suddenly these people come and start preaching about Jesus, who's a, a Jewish leader, a Jewish um, person anyway. And the Jews think, oh, he's one of us. So maybe this is all part of our mystical stuff. So it all gets mixed up together. Um, and so Paul has to say, them, say to them, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind or by their, their fleshly mind. Um, great detail, you can imagine, sort of, yes, and I saw this, and I saw this. I disqualify you. I think this, he's saying, he's saying don't, don't let people put you down because you haven't had these mystical experiences that, that I've had. In his recap, he comes back to his central point, which I haven't mentioned yet. 
And here's a couple of phrases that lead to that. These are a shadow of the things that were to come, he says in this passage. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And he says, they've lost connection with the head, with people whose religion has gone skew-whiff, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments, grows as God causes it to grow. He's reminding them that, that Jesus is the centre. They don't need fancy rituals or secret knowledge to know God. They don't, definitely don't need to try and make contact with other types of spirit being. To know Jesus is to know God. There's nothing more and there's nothing missing. Trying to make sure... He, he was very worried. I think this whole... Um, book of Colossians, it shows that Paul was deeply, deeply concerned about this blurring of, of religion into mysticism and um, pressure to add on extra bits that you really don't need. But it's not to do with traditional Judaism, I don't think. A lot of the Old Testament shows, or New Testament rather, the letters in Acts, shows the, the church, the early church, under pressure from religious Jews saying, no, you need to follow all the Jewish rules. I think this is something else. This isn't um, ancient Judaism. This is this weird, mixed-up stuff that's come from hither and yon. Um, but I'm just going to wind up now. But here's a final thought. Now, we haven't had the privilege of hearing a talk from Steve for a while. And when we do, there's usually something memorable. And to, I'm going to quote Steve today. He says, when your passage starts with the word therefore, you need to ask yourself, what's it there for? And this passage starts with, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, etc., etc., etc. So what's gone on before? What happened before? What was at the end of the previous passage that we talked about yesterday? And um, this is what it was. This is what is there for. Starts at verse 13. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed, disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, don't let anybody judge you. Those spiritual entities are nothing. They're defeated. They're fighting a rearguard action. They're still making trouble. But in the end, Jesus has the victory. I'm also going to complete the passage from Ephesians that David read. Read out just at the end of his bit then. He said, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Don't be frightened though. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. This is a well-known passage. I'm going to read it anyway. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted 
with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We don't have to worry. Jesus has the victory. We trust him. But we do need to pray.